Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Hey, food bloggers. The new Eat Blog Talk community platform is on its way to you very soon, coming in August. And I cannot wait to open the doors for you to come see the space we're setting up inside. One of my favorite things about the platform is the service provider and resource directory, where food bloggers can find jobs and also offer their own products and services. Join the waitlist to get details and discounts so you can start feeling more connected and more confident. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash launch to get the scoop. Hey, food bloggers, welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and for your lives. Today, I have Tida Furco from My Vegan Minimalist with me, and we are going to talk about turning food photography into a profitable business. Tida is a food photographer and recipe developer born in Slovenia and based in Manchester, UK. Despite her relatively small following on social media, Tida managed to grow food photography into a successful career. She has worked with small local brands and big international companies to help them create beautiful food images. Her images have been featured in print magazines. Tida is also a contributor at Picture Pantry, one of the leading stock image agencies in the world for premium food photography. Tida, your bio is so awesome and impressive, and I'm excited to chat about all of that with you. I'm really excited as well. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here too. But you know what's coming? We all want to hear your fun fact. Right. Um, so well, I thought about that a lot, and I think one of the fun facts about me is that I actually didn't know how to cook or bake at all until I was at least about, I would say, 21 or 22. And I guess this wouldn't be as unusual if I wasn't a food blogger now, because I feel like I hear like stories from other food blogger friends and they're all like, oh, yeah, I've been baking since I was seven or, you know, they've (laughs) they've had that passion forever. And I just, yeah, I just didn't have that because my mom was an amazing cook and she's like one of the best bakers that I know. And I've always lived at home. So like during high school and university as well. So I never really had to learn how to cook. And um, it wasn't until I like moved abroad to study in Czech Republic that I was kind of like forced to, you know, explore that more. And then it just like really, you know, became like my number one hobby all of a sudden. It was really unexpected. So, yeah, I also I also got really into like veganism and vegetarianism. And I just like watched all the cooking shows and like, you know, I bought all the cookbooks and food magazines. And it yeah, it just naturally became a hobby that, you know, I never expected to be my hobby. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I always think it's so interesting when people just kind of land on like passions and hobbies that really interested them later and not that you're old, but you know what I mean? Like late, not in their childhood, but like into adulthood. And it's like, it was just sitting there dormant inside of you, just waiting for you to find it. Yeah. It's so strange to think about it, but I think that's what makes it so exciting as well. Cause you never know what the next thing will be as well. You know, like there might be a hobby that 
I have no interest in now. And then maybe in 20 years, I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is my new career. <laughs> so, Oh, I like that idea. Like, hmm, what is just waiting for me to explore? Maybe I'm a really good piano player or something. Oh, my God, maybe you are. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Or like trumpet or something just off the wall that I would never expect. But I like that. That's really cool. So you are here, though, Taita, to talk about your amazing food photography. Um, I'm always so impressed when food bloggers are able to take just one piece of the puzzle because, as you know, there are so many different pieces and turn that one thing into a passion and not just a passion, but also a successful career. And you have really connected with that photography piece, which is actually quite a big piece of our food blogging puzzle. And you took it to this whole new level. This is so awesome and so inspiring. And I would just love to hear how you first found that connection with food photography and how you use that to catapult your career. Yeah, basically the first thing that really got my interest in food photography was um, a food photography course that I took. It's called Photography School by Broma Bakery. And that really helped me sort of believe that, you know, a career in food photography was actually possible because I didn't really know it was a thing before that. You know, it's not one of those things that everyone knows about. And I just saw like images from other bloggers or people that I followed on Instagram that took that course and I could see how they improved. And I just thought it was magical to see how they captured food. So yeah, I just took a really long time to practice as much as I could and like use every spare hour I had to learn from you know tons of like free resources that are out there as well and just to get to a level where I thought okay people would actually be willing to pay for this I think it was really crucial for me to take the time and to invest in my skills it was just the best decision that I could have made and yeah I think at that point I wasn't really thinking yet about how I'm gonna make money or how I'm gonna you know, how much I'm going to charge or whatever, but it was just really focused on like the art and craft of photography itself. And I think, um, yeah, getting my skills to that level has been really helped me in the long run. And I think it also helped me develop that mentality. Like, you know, it's always worth to invest in your skills. If something's like really interesting to you, if that's your hobby, then, you know, just go for it. It's always going to be worth it to spend that time to get to a level where you can make something more than just a hobby out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think at the beginning, I didn't really think of it as a business just yet, but just as a hobby. But then once I got to that level, I think what turned it into more of a business was actually treating it as a business as well. I'm sure a lot of people have said that on the podcast before. Yes. Yeah, because like at some point I knew that I had the relevant photography skills to turn this into a business. But I had no idea how to run a business, you know, I knew nothing. So for me, what was crucial after I developed the skills was also to have a business advisor because it really, oh, smart. yeah, that really helped me get, you know, familiar with like terms like business plan and cash flow and diversifying my income. And it also helped me present myself more professionally to potential clients and, you know, my business advisor just, yeah, it was, it was just the best decision as well because I was able to set up my Google, my business account. That was a big part of my business. And I think it's something that not a lot of people know about. So if you, for example, if I Google food photography London in Google, basically what you get is like a little, it's like a map 
and then you get like three or four businesses that are recommended to you. And basically, that's just completely free if you make a Google My Business account. And that's how a lot of people can discover you. And you don't even have to have a website or you don't have to, you know, it's it's really easy and it doesn't take a long time to set up. You just have to fill in like your phone number and your services and you can upload some pictures and stuff. And yeah, it's just really easy. And I've actually had a lot of clients contact me that way. You're kidding. And I would never. That's so cool. Yeah, I just, I never even knew it existed. So um, yeah, that's, that was a really easy way to do that as well. So getting that advisor really did help you to find those unique things. Like I never would have thought of that. Sometimes it's just worth it to spend a little bit of money to tap into the knowledge that people have in like specialized areas, right? I think like anytime you can get advice on business, if you're not a business person, I think a lot of us do that too. A lot of, a lot of food bloggers get into this as creatives and people who like photography or writing or all of that, cooking, baking. We don't necessarily know about the business side and we just kind of like have to jump in the water and learn how to swim and just learn it. So I think it was brilliant for you to get an advisor. Where did you find the advisor? Where did you even know how to look for one? Um, well, I just moved here to the UK and I was trying to sort of work out how I can become self-employed or how to open a business because, again, like I really had no idea. And it was just on the website that I found. It was sort of like a how-to one of the how-to sort of blog posts and it's a very local thing so I just meet with my business advisor here in Manchester where I live. So I think it just depends on your location a little bit but I think Google is the way to go and then finding some recommendations as well that really helped me. Um, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah very very smart. Okay so you got the advice from your advisor and just kind of launched into this passion that you had for photography I love that you did that, by the way. You just knew that it was something beautiful and that people were turning it into this kind of magic and art. And you saw inspiration in that. So you took that as a passion and you just decided, I'm going to make this a business. That is amazing and so inspiring. So what were your next steps after you were getting business advice? What did you do after? So yeah, like I mentioned before, the Google My Business account, that was a big thing for me. But that's something really small that you can do and it'll take like an hour or so. Another thing that I did was I created a business website that was completely separate from my food blog. And it featured like my previous work, my best images and the different services that I offer and just a quick about me section. And I feel like blogs, especially food blogs, are usually, you know, more sort of fun and laid back, whereas a real photography business website is a little bit more serious. So I think that was really important as well. And I just created a really simple website, you know, using one of the templates. And yeah, that, that was a really a big step. And I would really recommend it to anyone that wants to do food photography, you know, next to their blog as well. And then, yeah, another thing that I did that was quite important was getting reviews and testimonials from previous clients. So when I finished a job and if I knew that, you know, the client was happy with it, I would just invite them to leave a review on Google or on my website to make sure that I get that good feedback that other clients can see as well. That's really handy to have as well. And another thing that I found to be quite important was because I had some graphic design experience as well, 
I made sure that like my rate sheets or any documents or invoices that I'd be sending out would also look professional and part of my brand identity. That's something I, again, didn't really know at the beginning and I didn't know how important it was. So yeah, that was a big thing. And I think just treating it as something serious and not just as a side gig was really important. And I think I still have so much to learn because I'm quite new to all of this as well. But yeah, just always learning, always treating it as a business. That was a that was a big thing. Yes, I think that it's so easy for us to just see it as like a little side hustle or something that we do part time on the side. I don't really need to create a nice logo. It's fine. It'll thrive on its own. But the second we start paying attention to it in that way where it's like, I see you, you were a business, you were real, you were legitimate, then it does seem to really take off. So how long did it take you once you were like, okay, these are the things I need to do? And you started implementing those things. How long did it take you to start getting more clients and seeing more business come in? I think it started, I think I kind of divided into like two different sections because so after I completed the food photography course, I think it took me like maybe three months or even less to like earn that money back and start getting clients. And that was mainly because I also didn't really pitch any clients at that time. I was just, you know, focusing on food photography itself. And then, yeah, after that, say four months, I would start to really think, okay, who can I contact? You know, what brands would like to have vegan food photography or just food photography? Um, So, yeah, it took about a couple of months. But then I feel like about a year after, I also noticed that I didn't really have to pitch brands anymore as much. I feel like I would get recommendations from existing clients or they would find me on Google or they would find me somewhere else like on Instagram or Pinterest or whatever and that was really important to me because I was kind of scared at some point and I feel like everyone also in the food blogging world even if you're not a photographer you think oh my god am I gonna have to like page brands forever if I want to (laughs) and I was like I didn't even know if I really like doing that because I don't really I'm not like naturally the person that would like you know, try to promote themselves. Uh, I don't know. So I was like, oh my God. But then, yeah, I just really, the moment, I feel like the moment I stopped worrying about it and I just focused on doing other stuff, it just, yeah, new emails would just pop in my inbox and be like, oh yeah, this is the, another job that we could, you know, do together. And I think so about a year, a year and a half after I took the course, That's great. That is really great. I love that moment that you talked about when you realize that you're not working as hard as you thought you would need to be. Does that make sense? Like that time when you're like, you don't even know what's happening until you just have that moment and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't have to hustle quite as hard in the last month. And it's just like something to celebrate and it's just progress. It shows you that you're making progress. So I love that you mentioned that. And you had that moment. So let's talk more about uh, like the photography side. And I would love it if you talked to us about equipment because I think it's so easy for food bloggers to get hung up on this part of it. And this can even be something that keeps people from getting started in like, you know, food blogging or doing it as an additional, you know, photography business. So you can like deplete your bank account, honestly, getting set up with photo equipment Or you can just start where you're at. And my thoughts are always 
start with what you have, even if it's just like a cell phone. What are your thoughts on this? And then how did it unfold for you? Yeah, I completely agree. I couldn't agree more with what you said. I feel like it's such a common misconception that, you know, a really great camera will just instantly improve your images. But I think that if you have the right skills, you can kind of use any, like, you know, you can use any camera to make stunning food images. So yeah, I think after I decided I want to pursue food photography, I spent a good time just focusing on the skill itself. And I would practice to that point that like, it didn't matter that I had a really cheap entry level camera with like the most basic lens. I just had one lens, but yeah, it was just, yeah, it didn't matter because I knew other stuff. I knew how to edit the images. I knew how to style the food about composition. And yeah, it just, I feel like I practiced to the point where I really outgrew the camera at some point. But I feel like you will know where you get to that point, but just try to make do with what you have, I would say generally, because photography can be such an expensive hobby and or a business. So I would just say, yeah, just think carefully before you, you know, buy every single piece of gear that you feel like you need. And just also make sure that you make the most of like all the free resources that are out there. I feel like there is so much, like, you know, just blogs or YouTube channels. I really love Joni from The Bite Shop. She has a YouTube channel with, I think, over a 100 videos on food photography, and you can watch them all for free. And they provide such incredible value, even to someone like me that's actually doing this as a job. So I think it's perfect for any newbies or for anyone that wants to improve regardless of their level. And yeah, I just, it's just such a common mistake. And I feel like when people, like when friends ask me, maybe people that want to get into food photography or food blogging, the gear will be something that they're really interested in and just, oh, what camera do you use? Yeah. Or, you know, what lens? Or um, they want to know all the details. But I really feel like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it can be such a big investment. So even put more pressure on yourself if you know you've spent so much money, but then yeah, you feel like it can be quite a daunting task to then know that you have to earn it back or something. And exactly. Yeah, I, I just yeah. had a I just had a cheap camera. I think I even got it as a gift from someone, and it was really. And I even worked for brands whilst using that really cheap camera because nobody, when you send photos to brands, if they're good, they won't necessarily know what camera you're using. So mm -hmm. yeah, I just. I'm just such a minimalist in that way as well. Just, you know, do it what you have and see if you want to improve later. But yeah, there's so much you can learn. And that is for some people. I mean, eventually people get to the point where they have amazing setups and multiple cameras and lenses and lighting. And I think that's great if that's right up your alley and like if you fall into that. But I don't think that people should feel like they need to start with that because you can really get by. I mean, cameras on phones right now are so ridiculously good and they just keep getting better. I cannot believe some of the photos that our phones take. So if you have a phone and you're listening, just start there. And I always said this when I started, I never bought lighting. I tested with lighting a little bit when I got into food blogging, but the sun is amazing. I mean, it's like the best light ever and it's free and it's there in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like use that, use what you have. And, and I love your advice just to 
make the most of each thing that you have until you feel like you're ready for the next step and then you can launch into it but don't feel like you need to buy the whole you know scope of equipment because you really do not you can see beautiful photos on Instagram and on blogs that are pretty minimalist as far as equipment so totally yeah so true yeah so what do you use for lighting? Do you use natural lighting? Do you use artificial lighting? Um, at the minute, I re- actually use artificial lighting, but I wouldn't do that if it wasn't for the fact that I live in the UK and in a city where it's like, we just have like such bad weather. And I'm also facing, so my building where I live in, a, in an apartment, it's in the city center and there's loads of buildings around it. And I have no view like if I look outside the window right now I just see a massive brick building and nothing else and it's really close to our building so I get like no it's really dark it's just so dark in our flat so at some point I just knew I had to get better equipment because I would work for brands and I couldn't you know be like oh sorry it's really dark and I'm in my apartment today I can't do this job for you so that's the only reason why I did it but it's you know it takes quite a long time to learn about because I use a flash in like a softbox I just use one flash with a modifier sort of that you get like those nice um you know soft shadows and um yeah if it wasn't for that I would just have used the sun and just like natural light Yes, um, it is nice to use It's that. easier as well, and it's cheap. <laughs> so I think you can... I, I know a lot of people, the girl that um, sort of... I think she's the founder of photography school, and she coaches as well in photography, and I think she only uses natural light. That's, like, the only thing she uses. So, yeah, you definitely don't need to jump into that at the beginning. I always think it's interesting to to hear what people use if they're artificial or natural or both some people do both too but the only reason I mentioned that I kind of dabbled in artificial lighting years ago and the only reason I did was because I live in a state that also has long periods of time where it's like oh it's dark out so much in the winter here in Minnesota so I just got tired of that because I would have to race home I remember being out with my family and I was like we have to get home I have this picture I have to take and we my boys were like what in the world we're like rushing home for a picture and I was like you don't understand the sun's going down and I just got to the point where I was like I need another option I need to be able to not be crazy about racing the sun so I do have that as a backup skill and it is good to have that if weather is a an issue wherever you may live but for a lot of people, you don't have that issue. That's kind of a personal choice. That's so true, yeah. And I feel like I definitely remember that as well. I used to have to rebuild like my whole room or my whole flat to be able to find that place where it has like good light. <laughs> and that was so much work. And then I had to clean everything up after. So at some point, it was just less work to get a yes. flash. I hear you. So, yeah. <laughs> so... Taita, you have worked with print magazines as well as local and national brands, and you also capture stock photography, which is so cool. And I just think that is like such an array of ways to showcase your talents outside of additionally having a blog. So talk us through how other food bloggers can get into exploring similar paths as you and also touch on other ways we can use photography to branch out. 
Okay, yeah. So there are really tons of ways you can earn money with food photography. I have a lot of people, like friends or people messaging me on Instagram, and they will ask, oh, how are you able to make this your full-time job if you only have, you know, five or six or 7,000 followers? Or they will ask, oh, how do you, um, you know, how do you pitch brands, etc. But I always like to remind people that food photography is like it's a job on its own and exists outside social media and food blogging. It's a profession that existed for, you know, decades and it's not, you know, it's been around longer than social media. So to get back to your question, where do you start? You know, how do you make money with food photography? Obviously, one of the main ways is you can create images for restaurants. And that means that you, you know, you go to a restaurant and you shoot their either their full menu or some new dishes that they just brought out. You also can have monthly photo shoots with them where you create fresh content for their social media or their marketing. And that's really good to have that steady income that you can count on as well. So restaurants is one thing. And then another way is by creating photography for brands that aren't restaurants. You can work with food brands, but you can also work with companies that aren't necessarily related to food only. For example, I worked with Panasonic is one of those brands that you wouldn't think, oh, they're a food brand because they're not just a food brand, but at some point they needed, you know, food photography and I was able to provide that and um, just because I specialized in it. So yeah, there are so many brands and I also think what helped me the most was sort of finding my niche. I know that everyone says that in food blogging because I was, you know, into veganism. And I think because it's sort of, I guess it's more of a lifestyle thing as well. And then brands that are fully vegan will also be happy to work with a photographer that specializes in, you know, vegan food and vegan food photography. So yeah, finding that little thing that you're really good at, it doesn't have to be something related to your diet. It can be, you know, I don't know, it can be like baking or it can be, you know, it can be so many things. And yeah, as you mentioned, another way is also by uh, another way to make money is to sell stock images. And basically, that's just the it's a photo site where you can upload your own images for sale. And you don't necessarily have to take images specifically to sell them on stock websites. You can just, for example, if I take lots of photos for a dish that I'm shooting for a for my blog, for a recipe, I can also use those photos and just upload them to a stock site as well. And then it's it's a way of sort of earning some passive income. It's not anything huge. It's just something that you can supplement your main income or just have as a little extra. Um, I use the Picture Pantry because I really recommend them because they specialize in food. So if you're a food blogger and photographer, they're really great because they focus more on quality rather than quantity because I feel like a lot of stock websites out there that people know say like Getty images or they have such a massive volume of photos out there and it's so hard to even have your photos seen by anyone because they're so huge so yeah I was I never really um yeah I was never part of any of those really huge image sort of stock image agencies because I thought okay let's just focus on what I'm good at and stick to that um and the picture pantry was a great way for that uh, another way to earn money by um doing food photography is sort of by sharing that knowledge that you have with others 
I feel like that's something that I learned during the course as well that I took. It was sort of, yeah, you can, you know, you can put together an online course, you can make an ebook, you can do coaching or like one-on-one mentoring, or you can do a podcast about food photography. There's like, if that's something that you're interested in, it's also another really fun way of making money with food photography and getting to know people that care about it as well. And then another way, the fifth way would be by creating recipes. I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast will obviously be food bloggers, so they will know how to create really great recipes. And if you're able to capture them in a really nice way, you'll provide really great value to brands because you can um, develop a recipe, but you can also give them great images and they will need that for, you know, little books that they bring out or for their website a lot of them have a blog section where they sort of share recipes that use their ingredients for example if it's I don't know a brand that sells flour or chocolate or something so that's another great way and I feel like I found it to be like the most profitable maybe part of my business because it joins those two skills uh, recipe development and food photography and it's quite in demand as well right now with social media so yeah, that, I think those are just a few ways. I, I'm sure there must be like several others as well. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, a, you gave us a lot of food for thought there. There's so many. It's such a versatile job. So I'm sure I'm forgetting loads. But those are those are the things that I've done. So <laughs> I don't know about any other. Those are great. So some of these I had never considered. I mean, obviously we all have those times when we're at a restaurant and we see a menu that's just terrible, right? And we're like, oh my gosh, what are these photos doing here? So how do you go about pitching to a restaurant, whether it's for a menu or for social media? Do you have a method for that? I think it doesn't differ super much from when I'm pitching other brands, but obviously you'll go really local and that can be a big plus as well. Um, Sort of knowing that, you know, maybe it's a restaurant that you really like going to and you'll be, you know, you'll be able to sort of say oh this is my favorite place and I really like this and that dish and just send out an email or just ring them or go in and talk to one of the staff and see what the best contact would be you can also reach to them via social media Instagram or Facebook they're both great yeah just see wherever they're active and kind of try to get a good contact person and then from then on you'll you know you can either meet in person or a lot of it will just be done via email especially these days so um, yeah yeah it's kind of like pitching other brands as well but then finding restaurants in your area or finding cafes or bakeries or just loads of lots of places there are a lot of options yeah and I think it can I didn't really realize that before I did it but it really helps you develop as a food photographer because I remember the first time I did photography in a cafe and I'd already been doing food photography, you know, in my home studio before, and I thought it was going really well. And then I did my first shoot in a cafe, and I realized it was so difficult. And (laughs) it really forces you to learn on the spot and to, yeah, to deliver photos, even if you're not having like your best day, because there's no option to just be like, oh, I'll do this another day. Um, So yeah, it's really, really great. And I think it just forces you to learn so much more than you would if you just did it at home. So if you have a chance to do it, you can also offer to do it for free if you're just starting out. A lot of people that start out will just do it in an exchange for 
you know, a meal or something, which I wouldn't normally recommend ever, but it's just if you're actually just really starting out and you need to have a portfolio that you will show to other potential clients because you need to have some kind of proof that you can do that. So yeah, that's a fun way to get started as well. There is something about creating photos or really any piece of content for other people that really forces you to buckle down and learn because when we're creating content for ourselves, it's so easy to make excuses or like you said, like put it off, like I can do this tomorrow or I don't really need to learn a new angle or whatever. But like, I remember when I did my, when I made my cookbook and I was like, I know I have to up my game a little bit because I don't want to reshoot these photos and they're going to be really picky. So I just like turned it up a few notches and I can tell if you go back to my blog, like free or pre cookbook, it's totally different. My photography was way worse back then, but having to create photos that other people were like judging and, you know, critiquing, I just like turned it up so much. And then after I was so much better for my own blog and my own content. So I think there is definitely something to that, like having somebody else's standards in your head, you just know that you have to perform a little bit better. So if no, for nothing else, if you are just starting out and you mentioned like maybe doing a menu for free or doing a few photos for free, I think there's nothing wrong with that as long as you go in with the knowledge that you're just going to be learning from it and growing yourself as a photographer. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, we all got to start somewhere, so... Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's so true. Yeah, having someone else's standards or sort of not wanting to let anyone down when you make pictures for a cafe, it's, it just forces you to, to step up your game. <laughs> it does. I want to ask you a question about the non-restaurant brands. You mentioned creating food photos for brands that weren't necessarily related to food, but they were food photos, right? How did you like discover that or how did you know they needed food photos so i found them on instagram they had a some brands if they're really big like panasonic is quite big they have a separate instagram profile for just their food sort of part of the business i think it's called panasonic kitchen or something and they share sort of um, because they sell bread makers and i think microwaves or things like that and they need recipes for for their website that, you know, the people can be like, okay, this is all the stuff that you can make in our amazing bread maker. So that's how I found them just on Instagram. And I sometimes it's it's kind of just like trying it out and just see a lot of the times, especially at the beginning, you'll realize, oh, they don't actually need anyone. But then, you know, it can take some time to sort of find that brand that does need it. But um, yeah, it's sort of kind of like hit or miss sometimes as well. But it's just, I think social media is a great place. Like Instagram is such a great place to start. I found so many clients there and other clients, like other people found me there without, you know, I was just posting my recipes from my blog and they found me. So I didn't really have to go out of my way to pitch anyone. So yeah, Facebook and Instagram, also because they're not super sort of formal, I feel like you can kind of message a brand like a direct message on Instagram and they'll be able to sort of, they'll reply and they'll be like more casual than sending out an actual email and they'll be able to point you to the right person in their team. 
So yeah, Instagram is really great or just spending some time looking at maybe also looking at what other food bloggers are doing or what other food photographers are doing, who they're working with. And then, you know, not necessarily obviously pitching that brand, but just, you know, getting an idea. Oh, wow. This is also something you could do. For example, I worked with a brand that was, um, it wasn't a food brand. It was a skincare brand, but they were fully vegan and they cared about sustainability and like recyclable packaging and everything. So it kind of fit into the brand that I have, but it wasn't food, but they still wanted to. So yeah, it's just sort of trying it out. And I think food and product photography are really, really similar. And they, they're kind of almost the same thing because, you know, food is some of the food is our products as well. So that's an, oh yeah, that's another way that you can make money with food photography is to do product photography like skincare or jewelry or I don't know stuff like that that kind of goes in with your comment about just knowing what your niche is and how that can relate to getting work as a photographer really because like you said if you're interested in vegan food then you are interested in other products as well that kind of um, follow those same guidelines so that's something that I don't think I would have thought about like branching out into other areas outside of food, but that also do relate to my niche. That's really smart. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I think it's, it just sort of happened. I didn't like, I don't know, it just kind of happened naturally. And now that I know that it exists, I can use that going forward. So yeah. That's a great thought. Um, I wanted to ask you one more thing about your list. So stock images, I've considered that over the years. I've never jumped into it. But yeah, like Getty Images or some of those other bigger companies, they're so massive, like you mentioned, that I just feel intimidated. Like, would my stuff even be seen? But it's great to find that gem, like Picture Pantry that you mentioned, Tida. Um, So how do you like divide your photos? Do you upload photos that are already on your blog? Or do you just take like a few photos that you didn't use on your blog from the same photo shoot and do that? Or how does that work? Yeah, so basically I can use any photos that I already published on my blog. And I can also use some sort of outtakes or some other, because when you're shooting, you know, I don't know, a cake or a brownie, you'll have quite a few different angles, but you won't necessarily use all of them in your blog post. So I just use all of them. I use the ones that I've put on my blog. I use the ones that are really similar, but maybe slightly different composition. And I just upload them all. Basically, it's just the more that you can have, the better. Because it is it is still hard to, exactly what you said, to, you know, be found if you're new to it. And yeah, the more content that you put out there, the better it is. And yeah, the good thing is that you can use what you already have. So if you've already shot for the blog then you can you know you've probably edited those photos in a way and then you can put the same sort of filter or whatever through the other images as well in that bunch and then you just upload all of them to the picture to the sort of stock image website I think what I found that works best is sort of images of the final dish or stuff that's kind of more styled and more you know really neat whereas I tried with more general sort of images like ingredients or like just a bunch of vegetables out there because I thought that would maybe work but I feel like it's not as profitable I guess hmm. but you can kind of test with that and play yeah and see what works so true mm-hmm. yeah it, it might depend on you know 
her style of photography as well. Sure. So, um, yep. Yeah. That's a great thought just for somebody looking for a little bit extra revenue from a totally different source. That's something that I don't think most of us typically think to do. So you've given us a lot to think about restaurants, non-restaurant brands, even branching out into non-food products that use food in their photos, finding your niche, just really keeping that in mind when you're looking for work, stock images, and then also other products. That is amazing. Thank hmm. you for listing all of those, Tida. I think that'll oh, be really sure. helpful. Oh, I'm glad. Yes. I hope it's helpful. <laughs> oh, I do think so. So before we start wrapping up, I just want to hear your top tips. There are people listening who want to launch into photography in a new way outside of their blogs. So what are your best tips for them for doing this? Okay. Um, yeah, I have a few like really specific tips. I would say make sure you focus on practicing a lot and not putting too much pressure on yourself when you start. Make sure that you not only practice, but also analyze your images. For me, that was the single most important thing. Uh, what I used to do was I would take my own image and then I would compare it to an image of another food photographer that was really great and that I looked up to. So I took those two images of perhaps a similar dish, but not necessarily. And I placed them next to each other in a Word document. And I just sort of really tried to play that like spot the difference game and see what was it that made someone else's images so unique and so striking. And what was it that my images were missing? And I would just look at it and just be really analytical, just write down the list. How can I achieve that? What was it? Was it the colors? Was it the editing? Was it the way that they're placing the props that makes their image so nice? Was it the backgrounds or, I don't know, the styling of the food itself? So, yeah, I think the ability to really reflect on your work and be quite analytical is crucial to your sort of success as a food photographer and taking that time to... You know, it's going to take time to improve. It's not going to happen overnight. But I feel like you can speed it up a little if you do it in like a really clever way and just be like, okay, you know, this is what my images are missing. And also to another tip, I think, is to really surround yourself with really great food images. I mean, one of the things I did was also on Instagram was to follow people that had really amazing food pictures because I feel like that really inspired me and it made me think of new composition or new props that I never would have thought to use before. And it kind of just instantly, um, it instantly improved the level of my food photography when I was looking up to people that were doing this on a really professional level. So yeah, just practice, be analytical, explore your work, you know, get inspired by other people, follow there's a lot of blogs that um, I feel like I know quite a few people that have great food blogs, but then they will have a lot of resources on food photography as well, like little tips or, you know, just some blog posts. And yeah, there's so much, um, so much stuff out there and a lot of free content that you can learn from. And yeah, <laughs> I hope that helps. That's great. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Practice, analyze. I like the line that you said play spot the difference game and just put two images side by side and see what that element is that's really speaking to you. I think that's really smart if people take the time to do that. It's just a matter of doing that, right? Because we all scroll on Instagram and we see 
photos that were like, oh, that looks so amazing. And you kind of stop scrolling and look at it again and you look at it for like five seconds and then just like taking the time to figure out what it is about that image and then maybe adding it to your own photography or replicating it in some way. So that is amazing advice. And also surround yourself with great images and photographers. It kind of goes along the lines of just being around good people. If you want to be a better person, you surround yourself with good people. So if you want to be a better photographer, then put good images in your life. So that's great. Thank you, Tida, for sharing all that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Is there anything you feel like we need to touch on before we say goodbye? Yeah, I would just maybe stress the importance of food photography in, and also in food blogging. I feel like I know how long it can take to grow your sessions and to grow the number of users and to grow your social media. But I feel like if you want to make some money with it and make, you know, like do sponsored posts, I think having a really great level of food photography will, um, will make it easier for you to be able to charge more for it. So it's, it's just so important. It can make all the difference in the world and just, you know, we, I know we say that a lot, but like we live in such a visual world. And I think especially when it comes to food, one of the things that matters the most is how good it looks. So I think if you have really great photography skills, then brands will be able to work with you, even if you don't have a huge following, because they will see the value that you provide also in the photos, not just in the exposure that you give them. So yeah, it's really such a versatile sort of um, job. Yeah, it's it's really helpful for food bloggers. Yeah, I just think I always say this too, it's such an important piece of it, because that's the first thing people see. If you're on Pinterest, the photo is really what is going to capture people and pull them over in pretty much any platform. So photography is so important. Yeah, I'm actually taking a, I just bought a Pinterest course and I'm, I'm so oh, excited nice. to finally, um, oh, yeah, yeah, to finally delve into that. And that they say, yeah, that images themselves are really important as well, apart from, you know, also obviously descriptions. Yep. Well, thank you, Taita, again, so much for everything that you've imparted today. I know that this is going to be well-received, so thanks for taking the time out for it. Thank you so much. It's been great to have you here. So before you go, do you have any additional favorite quotes or words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? I think one that I would like to share is, I just really like this quote, um, never let the things you want distract you from the things you have. And I know it's not necessarily related to food blogging, but I think it just really resonates with me. And I think it'll resonate with other food bloggers out there because we often talk about growth and, you know, the next big step that we need to take in our careers or the next course or the next big client that we'll pitch. But we don't actually take the time to acknowledge where we are at the moment and how see how far we came. And I think that's it's just really crucial to do that. And I think it's such a positive quote and it's so relevant in many other aspects of life as well. And it's sort of a great alternative, I think, to this mentality of having to constantly hustle and sort of, you know, look into the future. But it's just focus on the moment and, yeah, just cherish where you are at the moment. And, yeah, I really like that quote. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. It's such a great way to end. Thank you for that. And why don't you share with my listeners where they can find you online? 
Oh, sure. So they can find me on my blog. It's called myveganminimalist.com. I think there will be a link in the show description. And I share a lot of resources about food photography there as well. I'm actually putting the finishing touches to my quick start guide to food photography as well, which is a completely free email course. So, so yeah, by the time this is out, you'll be able to sign up on just on my homepage. And you're also able to find me on Facebook and on Instagram and on Pinterest under the username My Vegan Minimalist. It's always the same. So, yeah. Perfect. And we will put together show notes for you, Tida, and people can find those at eatblogtalk.com forward slash My Vegan Minimalist. So, the same name there as well. So thank you again for being here and thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.